Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to the Believe in Badger football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by betonline.ag and eBay. I'm your host once again, Matt Perkins, and I am delighted today to be joined by Rafi Cantor and Ben Stein from the Bolted Podcast, the newest docu-series on the Believe Podcast Network, focusing on the San Diego-turned-Los Angeles Chargers. Guys, thanks so much for taking a little time out of your day to chat with me. Thanks for having us on. We're yeah. stoked to be here. Yeah, thank you. This is really cool. Really happy to be here. I'm super excited to have you guys here. I listened to the first two episodes, and it is a fascinating podcast. We're going to talk about that in just a little sec- a second. But before we hop into the show, I want to remind everyone listening that we here at Believe in Badger Football are sponsored by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. From FCS football, which is now in full swing, as is the NBA, college basketball heating up as schools have punched their tickets to the big dance. The tournament is coming, and so is the $100,000 Bracket Madness Contest, as Bet Online is the spot to be for all of your bracketology needs. Uh, Rafi, you went to USC. Ben, did you go to San Diego State, you said? Um, I actually went to San Jose State. So stayed oh, you went Cal- to San Jose State. Right, stayed in California, but nor- Northern California. Okay, so obviously SC is going to be making the tournament this year, it looks like. They actually just um, announced they're playing. Uh, I don't know who they're playing, but they just got like the seven seed, I think. Kansas, I think. Yeah, the brackets are coming out literally as we are recording right now. So we, we might have some late breaking news on the Badgers. Who knows? You know, oh, uh, oh, gosh. Wisconsin gets North Carolina in the first round. Good times. Great. So they'll be on national TV. Uh, yeah, great. Well, we can lose on national television again. Uh, do either of you guys have a great, uh, either a dark horse or a team that you really, really like to win the title this year? I, I don't know that I'm going to call them a dark horse because they're, I believe they just got a two seed, uh, maybe a three seed. So that's, a, it's not a dark horse at all. But I am putting a lot of my stock into Luca Garza and Iowa. Um, I think that he, that team and him sp- specifically is just made for March. And so I'm really stoked to uh, see what happens there. Not sure how many of our Badger fans are going to love hearing that, but <laughs> yeah. I'm 100% on, I'm actually Fair. on board with you. I think that uh, Iowa is, you know, sneaky. Well, one of the best teams in the country, like you said, it's not like, yeah, they're a two, three to three seed or whatever, but uh, Garza is one of the best collegiate basketball players we've seen in a long time. Rafi, right. how about you? Uh, so I've had my heart repeatedly broken, uh, growing up a San Diego state basketball fan. Uh, so, uh, I actually have a little bit of ironic distance from this year's, <laughs> this year's tournament. Um, uh, but, uh, I think that if they, I think that San Diego state can make a run if they put stuff together. Um, they've always been a really disciplined team under, especially under the new coach, but, uh, you know, I'm just fully prepared for both San Diego state and USC, my two biggest interests to, to just get smashed in the sweet 16 as is tradition. So. Yeah, we, we Badger fans know a thing or two about heartbreaking losses in the tournament. So, you know, and I, I for one, like, I cannot believe in Gonzaga. I got in a big argument with the Charity Stripe guys on their show last week <laughs> about Gonzaga. And I'll believe it when I see it when it comes to them. So I love that Iowa pick, Ben. Uh, if I was going to look anywhere else, 
It's tough, man. It, it, it's tough. Any of the Big Ten teams, Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, I mean, the, the Ohio State, the the Big Ten was just so deep and so strong this year. I could see any of those teams making a big run. But no matter who your team is or what conference you're from, Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head on over to the website betonline.ag today, or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, fellas, let's hop right into your new series, Bolted. Uh, Rafi, I guess I'll start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the genesis for the podcast and really what you guys are trying to drill down onto. Yeah, so um, the genesis for the podcast was uh, a few things all happening at once in uh, 2019. Uh, so the first thing was I was unemployed, uh, which is the, uh, you know, boredness is the mother of all invention. And then the second thing uh, was I was I went to my first L.A. Chargers game. And, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, we're, we're both born and raised in San Diego, Ben and I. Um, and I've lived in L.A. since 2013. So, you know, I uh, I hadn't been the first few years that they were in town. It was a little bit it was a hard ticket to get. It was super expensive to go. And it was also like still a little bit painful for me. And I went and I went and they were playing the Denver Broncos. It was a, I think it was week four in 2019. And they were playing at StubHub Center, which was the it's the LA Galaxy's MLS stadium. So it's about a 30,000 capacity stadium. Uh, and it was just a sea of orange. Like I'd say 70 to 80 percent of the people that were there were probably Broncos fans. And there was just something about the experience that was like, this is this is not right. Like, you know, this is the same team I've been rooting for my entire life. But this is this is just something's off. And then the third thing that was happening was I was reading a book uh, that year. Uh, I, I was shooting a TV show in Canada and uh, I'd been given this book as a gift. It's called Boomtown by Sam Anderson. And it's uh, about uh, this. It's this incredible weaving of the history of Oklahoma City and the specifically the one season of the Oklahoma City Thunder after they traded James Harden. And it was drawing all of these parallels between the city's history and what was going on, on in the team, on the front office, like everything that year. And I thought it was such a cool idea for what are arguably two books and making them into one. And having had that experience and then having gone to the game and then being unemployed, <laughs> I started kicking around the can of doing this. What, would, what if I were to tell the story of the Chargers relocation from this weaving perspective and realizing that the reasons why the Chargers moved and the history of San Diego is very intertwined. And uh, if there's a way to tell the story, uh, that's the way to do it. Because frankly, anyone who lived through that experience doesn't want to relive it in the way that they did uh, because it was not comfortable for anyone. And we've certainly run into a lot of that promoting the show. A lot of people being like, ah, this sounds like it's cool, but I don't know if I want to go through this again. And it's us kind of you know, trying to say to them, listen, there's a lot more to this story than I certainly knew when I first got into it. And uh, we were able to kind of, I think, dig up a lot of history and a lot of uh, interesting relationships between San Diego and Los Angeles um, in both politics, uh, history, economics, and just kind of lay everything out on the table. And so this isn't a story that starts in 2015. It doesn't start in 2001. It's really starts in 1850 is the first place that we go from. And uh, it kind of unfolds from there. That's really awesome. That's really awesome. <laughs> ben, 
in doing the research for this show and the interviews that you guys have been doing, what is the single or a couple of the most surprising or just things that made you, you know, step back and say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it when you were doing the research? Sure. Um, so so one thing specifically that that I just had no I didn't comprehend or process right was uh, the work that the uh, Charger social media team was doing. And I've said this with Rafi, you know, a couple of times, but like I, we kind of assumed when the Chargers came from San Diego to LA that they, they just kind of did the same stuff that they did in in San Diego. And and they didn't really try, they didn't rebrand. They didn't do too much to differentiate themselves as a different football team. And uh, one thing that we learned in, in doing this process and in doing this project was that the after the first couple of years, the team kind of learned that wasn't going to make them successful. They weren't going to be able to win LA by just doing the same things. And so they've re, redone a bunch of different things, but one specifically was was all the work their social media team does. They come out with all the different memes and they've had their players uh, playing video games and online with, you know, Call of Duty or Madden or 2K. And, and now instead of, you know, I, I like Keenan Allen because he's a player on my team and I'm going to watch him do stuff on video games. They're getting people who I like Keenan Allen because he plays video games with me and he's on Twitch and sure, I'll watch him play football on Sundays. And uh, that was just something I, I didn't, think about I never like comprehended the, like I I knew that they like to play video games but I, I didn't think it was like an intentional thing and, and now I'm learning it's it's very much you know something intentional well yeah but we've also seen the pitfalls of that with the Myers Leonard situation over the last couple of weeks in the NBA so that is something that can be uh, kind of a double-edged sword because you're giving those players sort of uh, a little bit of leeway and a little bit of rope to potentially hang themselves on in a sort of a metaphorical sense if you will and so Obviously, I don't want to spoil the show for the people listening, but Rafi, what do you think could have been done? Obviously, you know, as a as a football fan, someone who grew up as a football fan, someone who has family from San Diego who are very much invested or I should say were very much invested Chargers fans, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you guys on just like on a personal note. Um what do you think could have been done to keep the Chargers in their rightful home of San Diego? Yeah, so I think that that's one of the things that we really hit on hard in the series is it, it's kind of um, more apt to say how many things had to go wrong in order for them not to be in San Diego. Um, and that's one of the things that, just speaking for myself, I think was surprising about putting the show together was how many different things had to go wrong in succession um, for the for the team not to stay? Um, and, you know, obviously we go into this at length in the series. Um, and if you've listened to the second episode already, which I know you said you have, Matt, um, I, I, you know, a lot of this starts and some would say ends with the Spanos family. You know, this is a family who uh, are culturally very uh, ingrained in this idea of the bottom line of their uh, profit margin. They 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 when they first started the team, they ran into a lot of problems running the team like they were trying to run their construction company, like a a, a lean profitable venture. Um, and you kind of realize that you can't run a football team that way. And to them, the, the the team has always been an investment, and they've treated it as such. Um, and then you know one of the things that we'll touch on a lot on this episode that comes out this week, episode three, is specifically 
um, the uniqueness and the uh, dysfunction of San Diego politics. Uh, you know, it, it is a city that historically has had uh, numerous politicians with a lot of scandals that have created distrust among uh, the public. And that makes it really hard to ask them for money to build a stadium, um, which because of the situation with the Spanos family, with their wealth being tied up entirely in the team, that was what was going to have to happen in order for them to build a stadium. And uh, a lot of it also just comes down to bad timing. A lot of the times when they were rolling out their plans to build new stadiums, it was like right before major recessions hit. And like, so it's like, okay, you're asking for money right at the time that we don't have any money. Um, and so we kind of go into, you know, in detail to all of those things. But I think that the way to frame that question is how many things had to actually go wrong for, for it to go, uh, for the, for the team actually to leave. That's a really interesting way to put it. And you mentioned stadiums, obviously, like the big thing about the move was the stadium and sort of being and end up ending up becoming a, a tenant in the Rams' new stadium down in Carson. And as someone who spent a lot of time in Carson, I used to be a adjunct professor at Cal State Dominguez Hills. I, you know, I, I saw, you know, the daily things of them going and building the new stadium and everything like that, and that, you know, and, and the StubHub Center too, which is which is right down there as well. But Ben, one thing I want to ask you is, I, you know. From the outside looking in, there had been wide ranging debates about public funding of stadiums for a long time. But it's the Chargers in this move that actually I think really brought that debate to the forefront of the consciousness of football fans. And I, one thing I want to ask you specifically about the Spanish families, do you think it was just sort of like a point of pride by the end for them just to say, no, we're, we're going to move if you don't you know, take the same? Because they were really one of the first franchises to do so. And then we saw the Raiders do the same thing right around the same time. I, I'm not sure if I, a good answer, because I, I think that they all, the, from what we've learned, or at least what I've learned is that the, the team would have gone or the family would have gone where, wherever there's somebody built them a stadium. Um, so if that would have been insane, if somebody, if somebody or the city would have built a stadium in San Diego, I, I do think that that is something that they would have, they would have stayed. They wouldn't have just gone because they wanted to be in LA. Um, and one of the things that we, we've talked about and we've learned is, is, just how great of a deal this the Spanos family really got to to partner with Stan Kroenke uh, and the Rams. Uh, they're paying like a dollar a year for twenty years. Um, you cannot get rent that good in L.A. Uh, and so uh, that I really think is what it boils down to is is where they would have gone in the stadium. Um, uh, Rafi, if you want to add any details um, or, or if you have a different opinion, I, I'd be happy to hear. Yeah, I, I just think that the attitudes also have changed over time um, in this country, you know, writ large across the board. You had a lot of stadiums being built in the 60s and 70s, these kind of multi-purpose stadiums of which Jack Murphy in San Diego was one. You know, Pittsburgh had one in Three Rivers Stadium. Cincinnati had one uh, where, you know, you play baseball and football. And it uh, those were seen as kind of like public assets, you know, and I think the conversation increasingly as the leagues have become more and more profitable has become, these guys are so rich. If you want to build a stadium, just build your own stadium. And the Spanos family was not going to do that in San Diego. Like Ben said, 
Um, and, you know, in Stan Kroenke, they had someone who was super, 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 super rich and then married into a super, super rich family and uh, was able to just kind of do this all on their own. And I think you're seeing some of the animosity between the Chargers and the Rams organizations today honestly kind of comes from the fact that the Chargers kind of got a great deal out of it. They kind of like lucked into this amazing situation where like Ben said, their their costs are minimal. They have to contribute the, the price of personal seat licenses to the cost of the stadium, but it's only as much as they can sell and they weren't selling them for a long time. So it, it is kind of this, this, this fascinating uh, case that has opened up this uh, larger discussion about public funding of stadiums. All right. Well, before we get into, I actually want to talk a little bit more about the sort of the fandom and rivalry between the Rams and the Chargers. But before we get into that, I want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to snap up that pair you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators, a team of experienced sneakers. Sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it protects sellers with a verified return process. For sneaker sellers out there, eBay also has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So head on over to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. All right, guys, um, before I, I ask you a little bit more about your own individual Chargers fandom, I want to take sort of like a 30,000 foot view of fandom in Los Angeles. You're living there, Rafi, and you are obviously intimately familiar with LA Ben and you know, I was living there when the teams moved into town, and I like I was telling Rafi, I went to a Rams game at the Coliseum, and it felt like any other professional football game I've been to, right? It felt like, you know, it was a bunch of Rams fans, and there it was just a normal home game with a home stadium. It was, like, full of mostly Rams fans with... I forget exactly who they were playing. I think it was... Uh, oh, they were playing the Cardinals. They were playing the Cardinals, and so... Not like there's a ton of Cardinals fans out there anyway. It's not like they were playing like the Eagles or the Cowboys or anything like that. But it felt like a normal home game. But then you see a Chargers home game, like Rafi mentioned. And you wouldn't know that it's a Chargers home game by the color of the apparel people are wearing, by, you know, you know the team getting booed in their own home stadium by the opposing fans. And so my question for you, I'll start with Rafi. Will the Chargers ever be Los Angeles Los Angeles's team or even fully accepted by the Los Angeles community? And will they ever sort of be able to make amends with the San Diego community that they left? Um, okay, so there's a couple of things that you know we talked about and we discovered by talking to to, to people on the show um, about why everything happened the way that it did when they first moved to town. And I think it was very informative of kind of the initial debacle that occurred. Um, the first choice that the Chargers made, and they made it the day that they announced they were moving, which is that they were not going to rebrand. They decided that they were going to stay the Chargers. And the Chargers brand, for lack of a better word, had been associated with San Diego for 56 years. Even though they played their first season in Los Angeles, no one associated the Chargers with L.A., and so by, you know, we talked to Arash Markazi, who works for the LA Times forever, and then I was a radio host and everything like that. And 
you know, one of the things that he was writing at the time was that the Chargers had an opportunity to kind of go to LA and say, we're going to rebrand. How should we rebrand and ask them about it and really, you know, use that as that first kind of olive branch to come out to the city and say, you know, we want you to take a stake in us and then we'll take a stake in you. And uh, they didn't do that. They just decided, oh, we're going to stay to the Chargers. And so because of that, like you said, uh, they, you know, kept a lot of those old fans and, and, and San Diego angry because it was it felt more like a stolen team. It already was a stolen team, but it felt more like it uh, in, when they were playing that season in L.A. The second adverse effect that happened was because they tried to go to the Coliseum. The Coliseum said no. They tried to go to the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl said no. They wind up playing in StubHub, the stadium that has 30,000 capacity. And because of that, the season ticket holders who were Chargers fans, Chargers season ticket holders, had a huge opportunity to make a windfall profit because there was never going to be any place like StubHub to watch an NFL game after those couple years that they were playing there. And they, uh, you know, the team was also bad for the most part when they were playing at StubHub. And so season ticket holders saw, okay, like Packers fans, Bears fans, you know, Eagles fans, they're willing to pay me four or $500 for my ticket to go see it at the stadium. And this team is bad. Like, what is it for me if I sell this seat? And they could pay for almost their entire season ticket by selling one game or two games or whatever. And all of this created this kind of perfect storm of, uh, you know, bad stuff. I could think of a million four-letter words to say. I'm just going to say not great stuff. And uh, I, I think that, you know, in a way, in a really kind of uh, sick and twisted way, the Chargers had some benefit from not having fans in the stands this year at SoFi Stadium. Um, you know, they kind of got a little bit of a break that they had this 70, 80,000 person stadium that was just going to be sitting empty um, and not having to get that, that uh, you know, pressure from having a bunch of other fans there. In addressing your second part of the question, which is, are they ever going to be LA's team? Um, I think that, <laughs> uh, you know, we heard from people over and over and over again, uh, like winning is the culture in LA. You have to win to stand out, which personally I cannot stand when people from LA say that it is the most, because like, first of all, like what kind of an answer is that? Of course, the object of, of, of a sports game is winning. And like, also like, for instance, Boston has been a more winning sports town than LA. So I think that like the idea, especially recently. So I think the winning, the idea that they're the city of champions and all that stuff, I think is kind of a, of a bygone era, but the more apt answer is that uh, LA is a saturated market. There is 11 different professional sports teams that play in the LA sports market. And so you have to stand out in order to do that. And you can do that in a few ways. The Chargers are banking that they can do it by being the cheaper and a cheaper NFL option that they are, you know, you can buy the same ticket that you're going to go see for the Rams for half the price or a third of the price or whatever they're selling the tickets for. Um, will they ever be LA's team? I think if they win a Super Bowl, maybe, but they have to win it before the Rams do. If the Rams win a Super Bowl first, there's just no way. So that was my very long-winded answer. <laughs> Can I just add real quick on top of that? And it's it's mostly gone away now, but still sometimes there. The other reason why the Chargers aren't really going to be LA's team, at least they haven't been immediately, is because a lot of people still call them the San Diego Chargers. Well, we hear broadcasters do it still. Well, we hear uh, fans on social media still accidentally do it. The referees will do it accidentally. 
Um, you know, Rafi shared a clip with me that the game Madden had uh, that said beautiful Mission Valley in the game after that they were in, San, uh, in LA. And it's just, it, it can't grow to be LA's team if, if everybody still thinks it's San Diego's. That's really true. That's really true. And I, it's because we've become so accustomed so accustomed to calling them the San Diego Chargers for so long that it, it, it just it rolls off the tongue way more naturally than the Los Angeles Chargers does too as well just from like a, a personal broadcasting point of view let's talk a little bit more about your individual fandoms though you guys are both from San Diego so you're both you're both Chargers fans I assume you both are Padres fans too um so okay so obviously both franchise both of those franchises has struggled a great deal over your lifetimes um and i mean neither of them has ever won a title in either of their sports so ben i'll start with you how has being a fan of the chargers shaped your overall sports fandom and you can throw in the padres there as well because i think both of those teams have faced a lot of the same issues well i can actually add one more team in there also because the nba team that so i am a diehard padres fan as well the nba team i root for is the phoenix suns who kind of have a very similar track record of being pretty good but not winning championships uh which i think that's completely uh shaped who i am as a sports fan because I think there's so much, there's, as we just talked about LA and Boston, there's only so many teams that can win championships. There's one that can win it every year. Um, but there's something about being really good. Um, and it's not as fun to root for. Uh, and it sucks when you're talking to your friends who are Laker fans and uh, fans of the 49ers, and they're talking about all their championships. And, and you're saying, but do you remember that year LT ran for all those touchdowns and he broke all those records? Uh, and so it's, it doesn't compare, but uh, I think that I get a lot of enjoyment out of watching sports that people who are exclusively rooting for these rings and titles fail to see. And it's not everybody, uh, you know, there's a lot of really great sports fans, but I think that I've learned to appreciate the individual plays and the, uh, you know, week to weeks instead of only looking for one title. And now that's also, you know, almost 30 years of, of fandom telling me that. So if maybe if one of these teams had one championship or two, I, I would be saying something completely different. Um, but it, as you said, that's just exactly how it shaped my fandom. Well, I, I think one of the things you mentioned, you know, coming close to never winning the title, being very good but never winning the title, that is the Badger football MO if there ever was one. So, Rafi, how about you? And what was it this – obviously, it was this fandom that helped sort of spur on this series and generate this series for you guys. But how else has being a Charger fan and seeing a lot of the missteps sort of – has it jaded you, do you think, at all as a sports fan? I think that uh, well, first I, I want to give a put some respect on the Chargers' 1963 AFL championship. Uh, so I mean, it doesn't really count, but it was it was a championship. Listen, uh, as as a diehard Buffalo Bills fan, <laughs> I count AFL championships too. There you go. Okay, perfect. Uh, I think for me, uh, you know, my roommate is from New York, and he grew up a diehard Yankees fan. And I, you know, he's from New York. I, I'll give him that, like all that stuff. 
But to me, it, like rooting for the Yankees or like rooting for the Patriots now or rooting for the Warriors a few years ago, it, it's it's like going to the casino and rooting for the house. It's like, you know, it's like they're supposed to win, you know? And so for me, yes, it, like sports, is, it, it's made me a little bit jaded, you know, certainly being a Chargers fan and a Padres fan and, and all that stuff. But I, I also think there's like this amazing possibility you don't root for sports because it's always going to go well you root for sports because it rarely goes well and when you do that makes what makes it special um and then the other reason is you know i come from four generations of chargers fans and so i think part of the reason why i was doing the show is because um you know that was a way that i felt close to my family uh you know my grandfather had season tickets from the time that they built Jack Murphy Stadium until he died. And then my uncle took them over. And now he has tickets to the Chargers in L. He lives in LA. So he continued to buy tickets when they were in LA. And, you know, I think that when you lose uh, that connection and that kind of familial lineage, it, it's, it was, you know, it's kind of hard to, to kind of just give that up. And that was part of the reason why I wanted to make this show. And Ben and I have had this conversation before. Like, it was a way that we felt like we could still keep rooting for the San Diego chargers, even though they don't exist. Uh, and you know, maybe that's a little kind of, uh, futile and childish or whatever, but, um, you know, I, you know, the great part about doing the show was that it never felt like work. You know, it was always something that, uh, I just had fun doing. And it was like, again, it felt like I was rooting for my team again. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it is a Badger football podcast, so we are going to end by talking about one of the great former Badgers who was had an interesting career, I think, for the Chargers, and that's Melvin Gordon. In college, I'm sure you've seen his college highlights, he is one of the single most electric players that I have ever laid eyes on. And just go back and watch the Nebraska game where he torched them for 406 yards and three quarters if you want to have uh, and, and just see some some things that you've never seen before on a football field in the snow, too. It was It was a thing of beauty. Gordon's career with the Chargers, though, was very up and down. He came in as a first-round pick. I think it was 15th or 16th overall uh, that year in 2015. Uh, same, uh, and in that in that draft class, you also saw um, a couple other running backs taken in the first round as well. But he was someone that came in with a lot of expectations. Do you guys think he lived up to them or do you think he was a bust? Is it somewhere in between? What is the, as a pro, I'll start with you, Rafi. As a pro, what is your either your lasting memory or your, your, your thoughts on MG3? So I remember when he was drafted in 2015 and I was stoked. I was so beyond thrilled because for all the reasons you said, like his, his highlight reel in college is immaculate. And uh, I, I, I love the way he carried himself. And he was this, you know, like really had this physical form and it made me excited. But it also, like you said, you're talking about expectations. Uh, unfortunately, there is a expectation that come when you play running back for the, for the Chargers, wherever they're located, you're in the shadow of Ladanian Tomlinson. And I think when you're, especially when you're taken in the first round, you're, always going to be compared to Ladanian Tomlinson. And, uh, you know, the thing about Mel when he, that freshman, or freshman, <laughs> that rookie year uh, that he was uh, with the Chargers, I remember like seeing so much potential, but he could not hold on to the football. I went back to his football ref, pro football reference page. And I, Cause I just remember him always fumbling. He had six fumbles that year. And um, 
it was it's the sort of thing where I, you know, it was like, okay, he's a rookie, you know, all that stuff, I, you know, cut him some slack. And then, um, you know, his, 2016 and 2017, 2016, he goes to the pro bowl. Um, you know, I think he has like really solid years. I don't, you know, he, I, you know, he wasn't first team all pro either of those years, but the thing that like sticks out to me, um, about, you know, these, these seasons is, you know, one of the things we get into to tie it back to the show a little bit, the move to LA was difficult for a number of reasons. Um, but one of them is, is that your players aren't settled. You know, there was a new coaching staff that was brought in. They did OTAs that year in San Diego, and then they did training camp in LA. And, you know, they, you know, as a result, they played really poorly that first year in LA. And so for him to come back in 2018 and have another Pro Bowl year, I think was really, really impressive. But I think as a story that a lot of Chargers players had, uh, not just in the LA area, but going back to the San Diego area, far back in the in the past, you know, he had that that holdout year. And that playing on a team where you don't have that good of a relationship with the front office, I really do think it matters. And so I, I'm not like hard on Melvin Gordon. I don't, you know, a lot of the times he was playing behind terrible offensive lines uh, and the Chargers could never stay healthy uh, for reasons that we go and do in the show. Uh, so I don't really fault him a lot at all. And I, and I, and I wish for all the success for him in Denver or wherever he ends up in the rest of his career. But uh, is he a bust? No, I just, I think he came into a, f- a flawed organization. And, you know, unfortunately the Chargers have a kind of, a penchant for uh, taking players and kind of grinding them up and kind of spitting them out at the end of the time they're there. So I just like to follow that up. I agree with basically everything Rafi just said. Um, I think that in order to like determine, I, I hate the word bust in general, because I think it, what it means is that you should have taken somebody else instead, or that they didn't, they weren't actually the right uh, player. They, they weren't who you thought you were drafting. And if you look at the running backs that were drafted that year, there weren't really, I mean, you said there was a few other running backs. Todd Gurley was drafted that year. David Johnson, there's a few, uh, I think Thomas Rawls has had a, a little bit of success from that draft. Um, but, but like there wasn't, you know, I, I, I'd say I would put, uh, Melvin Gordon's career up with, with almost any of those guys and say that it really was, because the Chargers were always going to be looking for that running back that year. I, I remember exactly where I watched Melvin Gordon's 405 or six, whatever, however many yards a game it was. And I said, I was sitting on my brother's couch and I said, that's Ladanian Tomlinson's replacement, which sucks, you know, going back to what Rafi said, because I think we had had not just Ryan Matthews, but a couple other running backs in between then, but it still felt like it was Ladanian Tomlinson's replacement. Um, uh, and, and, I loved Melvin Gordon. I loved rooting for him. Um, he was so much fun to watch when he played, when, when he was healthy and playing, like he, it would take three guys to take him down. He, his cut, everything about him was exactly what you want in a running back. And it was so much fun to watch. Um, going back to what I was just saying about not getting that championship. When you, when you aren't expecting the championship, you can kind of enjoy those things more. And, and, it, and, saying it out loud seems so weird that like I'm rooting for a a nine yard run. Um, but some of the, sometimes you watch it and it's just really exciting. Um, like Reef said, I'm rooting all for all of his success. Uh, I wish that it was a better time in his, uh, tenure with the chargers, but, uh, I I will always root for, for Melvin Gordon or any other charger that decides to, to 
somewhere else is, is better for their career. Yeah, well, you, you guys have some really great young players at this point. Obviously, Justin Herbert looks like the class of this past year at the quarterback position, as good as Joe Burrow looked in his rookie year. Justin Herbert smashed records. And as someone who has always been a Tyrod Taylor apologist, um, I, I felt so bad so bad for him you know like i told you guys earlier i'm a bills fan so you guys had a lot you guys have a lot of former bills in and around the organization which made me you know it it was tough it was really tough to see that happen to tyra because he was a guy that i always believed in as as a quarterback he brought us to the playoffs for the first time in 20 years um for that franchise and then they got rid of him for josh allen which Yes, it has turned out to be the correct decision, but that still doesn't mean I necessarily have to like it. But you guys, speak of running backs, you guys have Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler is a fantastic, fantastic player, uh, fantasy god. Uh, and uh, Melvin, though, Melvin was a sneaky good fantasy player, though, for those for the, those three years, 15, 16, 17. I mean, he was he was getting over, you know, 12, 13, 1500 yards from scrimmage every year. So he, he was a fun guy to follow. And it was also as a Badger fan, really cool to see them bring in Derek Watt, his fullback to go ahead and block for him. That was really fun to watch. And so you saw a lot of Badger fans become sort of, you know, after the Packers have it be their second favorite team, right? Because, you know, we, we got to watch our former backfield in the pros together. And I think that running behind Derek Watt actually was really helpful for Gordon in the pros because it, it seemed to make him a little bit more comfortable with a lot of the schemes than he was at, during his first year in San Diego. So um, I want to finish up, though, uh, to just uh, have you guys tell the people where they can find your show, where they should be looking for it, and uh, you know, tell us who else is going to be coming up on the next couple episodes. Yeah, so uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Bolted Podcast. Um, you can listen to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Uh, all that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, coming up, so our third episode drops, uh, we're recording this on March 14th. So uh, March 16th, this Tuesday, our third episode comes out. And uh, our big guest for that episode is Ryan Leaf. It is all about Ryan Leaf, his story uh, with uh, the Chargers. He was really, really candid with us about his time growing up in Montana, going and playing at Washington State, you know, going to the Chargers where everything sort of fell apart and his life after that. And we kind of, you know, like going back to what I was talking about at the beginning of the show, weaving that with uh, what was going on in the city at the time uh, from a history standpoint and why the stuff that was happening on the field and off the field ultimately set up kind of all of the bad blood that was going to play out in the back half of that plays out in the back half of our series. Um, you know, speaking of former Bills, we uh, we talked to uh, Chris Hairston, the O-lineman, was our most recent interview. He's actually probably going to end up being our last interview for the show. Uh, and he was awesome. We really, really loved talking to him. I was just cutting up clips, hearing him talk uh, in the it, right before we hopped on. Um, but yeah, our, our, our show is six episodes. And uh, so we're releasing new episodes. Uh, our, April 6th is our last day. Um, so uh, yeah, I, you know, Matt, I really appreciate you giving us the time to talk. It was it was a lot of fun, and uh, I hope uh, I hope people will check out the show. Definitely, definitely. It, I, like I said, I listened to the first two episodes, and 
I've got I've got a reminder set on my phone now for when the next one drops. It is if you are interested in sports and history and culture and the in sort of the intertwinedness of all three. It's a it's really well done show. It's it's weaved very beautifully. The the research is fantastic. The storytelling is excellent. Rafi, I can definitely tell your screenwriting background uh, uh, when I'm listening to the show. So uh, kudos to you guys. I've been in the podcast game for a little while now. Uh, I think this is my sixth or seventh year hosting podcasts and you guys are definitely doing it right. So a uh, great job. Make sure you subscribe to Bolted wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time on Wisconsin. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.